Hey there, dear listener. We're going to get to your regularly scheduled Miami breakdown with Jacob Cowden here in a little bit. I have to go ahead and say thank you all so much. Uh, We've got three new five-star reviews, so I was going to get those out of the way now so Jacob and I don't get distracted, which we are want to do. First, from Clinking Ice, a must-listen for Carolina fans. Awesome content and great conversation. Thank you, Clinking Ice. We also have one from Roy's Baby Blue Blazer. We are very Tar Heel-centric today. Great stuff. Outstanding coverage and insight. Great mix of analysis and opinion. Never afraid to criticize UNC or their opponents, but they don't go overboard just for hot takes. Refreshing listening from a fan perspective, but doesn't pander to a fan base or program just for clicks. Keep it up. Thank you, Roy's Baby Blue Blazer. We do try to remain objective and still have a little bit of fun with it. Now, the third five-star review, it comes from a guy named Jacob Cowden. He's going to be the guest on this podcast here in a second. Jacob has to say, best show on the air, and that's saying a lot. He's got his own podcast. Man, what's not to like about this show? Host Chad Floyd does a great job getting to the bottom of Tar Heel Sports. Brings on specific guests who are experts for whatever the episode subject is. Best place to go for Carolina sports. Thank you, Jacob. It was either going to be fun or wonky to read his review on the air with him on the line, but we're going to go ahead and get Jacob on now, and we're going to talk about the Heels' thrilling win over Miami and the rest of what happened in week two. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Don't Punt to Geo. Your UNC is 2-0 and edition. As I said in the little pre-show intro, I've got Jacob Cowden with me. Jacob. This is the best podcast known to man, you say? That is what I say. Yes. I finally took your instructions and left a review on the podcast. I didn't know if I was uh, eligible or not, but left a five-star review, as everyone should, on Apple. Damn. Or hey, that, that, that's some good plug-in right there. Well, I appreciate the kind words, and you're part of what makes that thing so good. Um, got my buddy I was tailgating with on Saturday, and he said, man, I, I really like the dude from Utah. So. I guess you get some credit there, man. Um, Jacob, the Heels won 28-25. I am not going to stand here and say that the Heels should have won, but a win is a win is a win. What was kind of your overall takeaway just watching the game, as I'm sure you were? Yeah, overall takeaway is, yeah, you score more points than the other team. That's all that matters at the end of the day. Um, Sam Howell's awesome. Um, Even – more so, I guess, than we thought after week one. And Aaron Crawford's awesome. Defensive tackle were kind of my two big takeaways on a macro level. Yeah, th- those are uh, some pretty solid takeaways there. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to Tomon Fox as well with, uh, you know, actually finishing sacks. The Heels had three sacks on the day and Tomon Fox was responsible for three sacks. Um, let's start with the defense because... You know, the performance was a little bit more uneven than it was in the South Carolina game. Uh, Miami was able to kind of get what they wanted um, on the backside slants, which were open all day. Uh, They were able to exploit their athleticism. And then, you know, as as we kind of speculated earlier in the week last week, um, DJ Dallas had some holes to run through as well. Yeah, I thought Dan Enos came in with a pretty good game plan. One of the things we talked about coming into the game was Jared Williams, uh, retro freshman, and then Miami had two freshman tackles as well. So we were talking about how can how North Carolina could generate or manufacture pressure. I thought for the most part they did a good job getting the ball out quick. Those slant routes are a big part of that. And, and also some missed coverage and missed tackles, I think, more so. Last week we talked about there was some miscommunication, we thought, in the secondary. 
Uh, this week, I thought they played better, except for for missing those tackles and taking some bad angles at the end, uh, which led to some more Dallas's yards than we could have allowed. Yeah, and overall, you've got to give a shout-out to Jaron Williams. I mean, he was excellent. I uh, was able to escape a lot more pressure than um, the three sacks would indicate and really was probably the best player on the field for much of the game. I mean, 30 of 39, 309 yards, two touchdowns. But again, I mean, was extending plays with his legs. Uh, Enos did a nice job of getting him out of the pocket, and UNC just wasn't quite finishing plays the way we would have hoped. Yeah. Um, yeah, they did enough, but especially when Miami kind of made some adjustments after those first first quarter, first half, whatever. Um, I got I got very nervous. I think a lot of people got nervous, and Williams played great. I think I'd love to see him play with, with more protection just so he has more time to throw and they can open up the offense a bit more as well. Um, but, yeah, secondary, I think they need to talk about it. I thought the defensive line and the, the front seven played better than, than the secondary uh if that I don't know if you agree with that or not but I thought the defensive line played well for the most part other than not finishing those sacks and those tackles and then then the secondary though allowed for more of those big plays than than they could have given up oh I'm with you 100 percent uh a good bit of that is Patrice Renee going out um on one my one of Miami's touchdown plays um unfortunately he is done for the season with a torn ACL uh Greg Ross and the guys at um, the other secondary spots, you know, they weren't quite as crisp as the South Carolina game. I think a lot of that has to do just with Miami's pure athleticism on the outside. Miles Jordan, I thought, had a huge tackle when uh, Revan Jordan had about 25 yards of open space to run, and uh, Jordan wrapped him up and brought him down one-on-one early in the game. And then Trey Morrison had a nice highlight, breaking up a deep shot uh, late in the third quarter that kind of could have been the death death knell for the heels uh had they completed it and uh, scored to go up there so there are definitely some highlights i just think kind of overall they weren't quite as in sync and you'll have that just with uh player turnover and not having renee in there which was kind of an unexpected loss at this point but overall yeah. you know i'm not i'm not willing to give them a failing grade by any means you know there, there is just yeah. some stuff to clean up uh, yeah, hundred percent agree. Definitely not failing. I think I know the the tackle you're talking about it was like a little swing pass or an out route for Miami, and the other receivers had cleared space. And yeah, Dorn made a huge tackle where they get a ton of yards. So I think I know what player you're talking about. And Renee being out really bums me out. He um I interviewed him uh for the blog and also for for my podcast and just fantastic guy. Couldn't have enough things to say about him. Also, he's a heck of a player. So that bums me out that he's injured and um. I, th- I think secondary will be okay, but he is a big loss. He's such a good cover corner. He's really physical. Um, yeah, so I agree with everything you said. There we go. Well, yeah, and, you know, kind of the other thing I'm taking away with the secondary is that Miami did a really good job of spreading the ball around. Uh, they had four guys with at least 51 yards receiving, uh, four guys also with at least five catches. It was the same four guys. But, you know, really they were able to exploit mismatches as opposed to just, you know, kind of force-feeding ball to Jeff Thomas or to Brevin Jordan. So, you know, kudos to Miami for playing a decent game. I think they're still probably the most talented team in the Coastal, and I think they're about to go on a run. But let's switch it over to the offense. I mean, we talked about it with Renee. The injury to Nick Polino was kind of used as the red herring to say, hey, the offense just stopped clicking when Polino went out of the game. Do you buy that, or do you think, 
going up 17-3 early, they kind of took their foot off the gas because I have an opinion there. I think I think it's a combination of of the two things you just said and, and Manny Diaz making adjustments, just like Dan Enos did on the offensive end as well. I think, you know, Manny Diaz making adjustments, Nick Polino going down, and, and being a, a young team having a true freshman quarterback who – this is a good thing, but but they're all really confident. They were rolling. Keenan was, was super loud. Uh, some people have said that's the loudest they've heard it. So I think all that, it's the nature, human nature for 20-year-olds to kind of ease up a little bit. And when you're playing a team that I think is more talented than North Carolina, you hinted to that Miami, is like they're going to be able to come back and they have a great coaching system. I think Miami gets more credit for a lot of the stuff than they should be getting. Uh, a lot of it's been NC led up Nick Polino and down. Uh, so just like we talked about with, with Miami's offense, I think Miami's defense gets at least some credit there more than they're getting. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, those linebackers, Quarterman and Pinkney and uh, Finley, those guys are just absolutely excellent. We touched on it briefly uh, in the South Carolina wrap-up, you know, and I know uh, Jake and I talked about it kind of as a mismatch in Carolina's favor, but UNC had to take some shots uh, isolating Miami defenders downfield, and I know you went to Pro Football Focus and pulled some numbers on that today. Yeah, no, absolutely. That was one of the things I, I noticed or wrote down rewatching the film as well is, is how deep ball accuracy it helps when your receivers, Deami Brown and Dad Newsom, can create such good separation. But that's one of the things we saw from Hallen High School is his how accurate he is throwing those deep passes and uh, connecting on those is what a lot. I'm trying to pull up the actual numbers right now, but yeah, that was my big notice. Sam Howell's deep ball accuracy. Where did I put that? Um, but yeah, yeah. yeah so I, that I saw was, something. I saw something where he's uh, second in the ACC of uh, passes that for passes completed north of 15 yards down the field, which is surprising just given the way they weren't super aggressive against South Carolina. But now he's, what, 8 of 8 on – no, the, I think the stat was like 8 of 8 with a perfect passer rating in the fourth quarter uh, when trailing or something like that. I mean, there there's a stat for everything. But Sam Howell was just awesome, and I think we would be remiss not to gush about Sam Howell for a couple of minutes here. No, he's he's fantastic. And then one thing he did as well, on top of his deep ball accuracy, he's running more than I thought he was going to. In high school, he had over a thousand yards rushing. I talked about this last week as well. And I thought when he got to college, he was going to have to learn to settle down, play more from the pocket, just because he wasn't going to be the best athlete. But you know, he's really mobile in the pocket, making plays. Um, he had a couple pretty big rushing plays as well. He's not going to have a hundred yards rushing a game or anything like that, but his legs are more of an asset than I expected them to be, uh, which is helping them again. If if that's a threat where the defense has to account for the quarterback, at least having the ability to break the pocket, then, then that freezes the linebackers a little bit, opens up in that, that second, that 10 to 15 yard window for the receivers because the linebackers are frozen. Uh, I think that's a big thing that's helping Sam Howell in these first two games. Yeah, and the, the numbers aren't going to really show it because obviously rushing yards uh, include sacks, and Miami had four of those. But 11 carries for negative nine yards, as long as he's keeping the defense all honest with his feet and extending plays, you know, what, what I've kind of hoped to see from him, and we talked about it a little bit last week 
where when he does extend the plays, you know, he finds a way to get rid of the ball as opposed to taking the two or three yard loss, uh, risking him, you know, risking his body uh, and uh, potentially fumbling. He did fumble once, but that's all part of his progression as a young quarterback. And I'm sure at some point it'll get frustrating, but for now I'm, I'm just going to enjoy the ride because I mean, the dude's awesome. Um, running the ball. The biggest testament I can say is that UNC was able to run the ball when it mattered most late in the game uh, in the fourth quarter against some tired legs. Uh, Javante Williams ended up with a nice stat line of 10 carries for 76 yards. Uh, Michael Carter never really got going, had 11 for 30, but obviously had the big two-point conversion uh, right in the southwest end zone where my seats are. But what did you see from the running game? Why, Why didn't it really get as much traction as it did in week one? Well, there's actually part of it um, as the article I wrote last week about Miami's linebackers. But Miami, I, in my opinion, their linebacker core is the best in the country. Defensive line is talented as well. I think it was just better competition uh, part of it because I saw some of the same things blocking-wise. I thought my guy right guard Marcus McKeithen played really well again. And I think that specific, the running game, Nick Polino does have more to do with that, that specific injury, even though it was kind of throughout the game. But, but I think part of it is just Miami's the best front they're going to face all year. And uh, they did warm down. At the end of the game, it got better. Javante Williams had some big runs. But um, on, I this might be oversimplifying it, but Shaq Corman, I think, is an All-American linebacker. We talked about uh, Michael Pickney. Miami had the best linebacker core in the country, so it's going to be harder to run the ball on that than any other team Carolina faces the rest of the way. Yeah, I I don't think you're wrong to oversimplify it a little bit there. You know, I'd still argue that Clemson might have a better defensive front, but Miami's front seven as a whole, probably some of the parts, is going to be a little bit better. Um, I mean, they're they're really good, and make no mistake, listener, uh, Carolina beat a really good football team on Saturday night, and probably just looking at the raw stats, it's not a game that you expect the Heels to win more than three out of ten times, but you know what? The Heels only have to play them once. so. Jacob, what what was your uh, favorite moment among the many in the game? Well, I loved the that's uh, one of the swing passes from Michael Carter, but I, I'm picking between. It has to be either the fourth and seventeen or that go ahead touchdown. Those are the two plays I specifically watched over again, broke down the coverage and things like that. The uh, fourth and seventeen play to Antoine Green, and then the the Daz Newsom touchdown. Um, were you either of those in the end zone? Your seats were at. Um, that whole drive was uh, going towards me. So, I, I mean, I'm I'm kind of up in the top corner. We we got some of the cheap seats early on. But, I mean, it was it was still a lot of fun up there. And I've never been in that section when it's actually been full and engaged. So that was a lot of fun. But uh, Newsom was actually the opposite uh, corner end zone for me. But, you know, you, you could see it developing. You know, the advantage of my seats is that it's kind of like watching all 22 film all game long. Yeah, um, I like higher up. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say I like sitting higher up because you can see what's going on in the whole game uh, with all the players. Are you a sideline guy or an end zone guy? I'm a I'm a sideline guy. I'm like 25 yard line guy, and I just take the losses on the this where it's on the other one. But but I like end zone once every three to five games because it is a different angle. You can see offensive line blocking better and stuff like that. So, um. I'm I'm in, I'm I'm not picky. I'd pick the sideline, but but end zone has its pros as well. As long as you're in the stadium, right? 
As long as I'm in the stadium, exactly right. Yeah. Um, um, I've got I've got to express my preference for end zone just because, you know, people say, well, you can't see how far they get on the play. But, you know, that most uh, stadiums have a pretty good uh, person on the scoreboard who says, hey, that was a six-yard game. It was, it was second and four now. So that doesn't bother me. You know, I, I, I like to see kind of the – the process, not the results. I feel like, yeah, you're a more intelligent view, a more educated view. Um, you know what? I might have to edit that out because that's going to be proven wrong at some point during this football season. Right, Man, well, and you're absolutely right. Just, and I, I don't know how much this was able to convey on TV. I actually kind of lost interest in rewatching the game when I realized I couldn't get the first quarter and a half because of the Florida State UL Monroe shit show. But my favorite play of the game was the deep shot to Deami Brown early on. I've ne- I mean, you know, you said people had never heard Keenan louder. I have in fits and starts, but that was just kind of the catharsis that justified how loud it was at the beginning of the game because that place was absolutely rocking. And that was the moment where you said, oh, my goodness, you know, we're putting all our faith in this 69-year-old man and it might actually work out. It, I mean, it, it was crazy, dude. Yeah, that was to go up nine and then eventually 10 nothing. His, uh, so Jeremy Brown had man coverage on, on his side, no safety. So I think how was going there the whole time. He had a fantastic, like, hesitation, like a little pump and go route. And then he just froze the cornerback. So there was no shot on that. So I can only imagine how loud the actual stadium got. But as soon as the ball is in the air, I think you could tell, like, oh, this is going to be a touchdown. And then just that, like, excitement building up. Um, heck and play. Deami Brown's been awesome all year, all two games. He really has, and I don't, I don't know what the hell the safety was doing on that play because, you know, he he didn't get deep enough for run coverage. I don't think it was a play action. There was really nobody running into his zone, so that was a bust. But you saw it again with Antoine Green. He had the one reception for thirty nine yards, and then the Toe Groves play on fourth and seventeen. Um, kind of did more of a. Uh, flood attack there but they I mean they just did not have the uh, safety help to contain UNC down the field and that was one of my keys and I guess I was right on that one I guess I'll say yeah on that one it looked like because so Groves was the the inside receiver it looked like Miami was in cover three so they had a corner covering like hash mark the sideline safety in the middle then corner on I don't know what they're doing on the backside but uh, the outside receiver, I couldn't tell who it was. He went deep, so he took the corner with him. And then the safety is supposed to be covering underneath, just couldn't recover in time. So I read uh, there was an article on Inside Carolina that talked about Phil Longo was anticipating that's what Miami would do, and their safety wouldn't be able to recover in time. And relatively big gamble because it's fourth and seventeen, but but they got it. And it was a perfect play call for the coverage Miami was in. Yeah, they were really able to kind of. Uh read what Miami was doing, at least on the back end, maybe not so much up front, but uh, Longo had a great game plan, you know, for most of the game. I would still argue that they got a little bit conservative, but the fun thing about that fourth and 17 was even if Groves hadn't been open, I believe it was Carl Tucker coming out of the slot um, kind of on a deep post. He had enough room to make a play if, if they needed him to make a play. So, there were a couple of options there, but Howell made the right choice. Groves made a great catch, and the rest is history, my man. Yeah, and then on that um, the end zone play where, where Newsom ended up scoring, looked like Miami was in man coverage, and they 
North Carolina was in trips. So Newsom was the inside receiver of the three. And then the two outside guys just ran like five yard, six yard hitch and stopped. And Newsom ran a corner route um, and just beat his guy. So that was just Newsom being a baller and beating, um, beating his uh, defender. So a lot of it I do a scheme. A lot of it just had to do with our guys were making plays on that last drive. Yeah, and the the outside corner could have easily dropped into the corner of the end zone. And um, oh my God, why why can't I think of the name of that? But yeah. um, kind of a basic play there. But that's kind of what Longo does is just kind of overwhelm you with simplicity. Um, the last thing we need to touch on, and I ignored it last week because I was hoping it was an aberration. Man, th- these special teams are bad. Yeah, I don't know how much to add to that other than what you just said, and. And likely they've gotten two wins so far, but I think there's going to be a game or a point where uh, even if it's not in a loss, it comes back to bite Carolina more than it has. I think they've been fortunate so far with the the bad special teams. Yeah, and, and I'm not going to sit here and call out a guy. Um, you know, Ben Kiernan punted better in high school than he has so far in college. I might just be the bright lights getting to him at this point. But the punting game needs to be shored up. Um, Big shout out to Michael Rubino, who is the UNC Special Teams Player of the Week. Uh, only allowed Miami to return one kickoff, and that one only went for 15 yards. A big shout out there to Kadri Jackson making the stop at about the 12-yard line on that one. So containing Jeff Thomas was a nice feature, but you know UNC's not turning it over on special teams at least, and uh, they won despite that unit being a little bit less than stellar still. Which is all you can ask for, and it's not getting – I think we talked about it last week, but there's not really a way mid-season to fix that other than just, you know, maybe making some tweak as far as, like, uh, schemes and then working on some minor technical stuff in practice. But for the big picture, there's not a lot Carolina can fix special teams-wise other than just hoping it, it improves organically. And I think it will to an extent just because you do have a new system, you have – a brand new punter, a sophomore kicker, and uh, Noah Ruggles was pretty solid. So, you know, you'll you, you'll have that. But at the end of the day, Jacob, the Heels probably shouldn't have won, but they did win 28-25. Carolina's 1-0 in the ACC Coastal. Miami is 0-1 in the ACC Coastal. So nice two-game lead on the best assemblage of talent in the league. What we're going to do is take a quick break, and then we're going to jump back uh, in and do the thing we did last week where we're just going to run through the – country and see what else uh jacob and i liked jacob i've got to ask man how was the break it was good uh got um got a little snack had some water well recovered ready to go for the second half absolutely man yeah i gotta do that quick a uh, little bourbon chug right quick and just make it all happen and get loose because it's time to go around the country baby um we're going to start in the ACC this time because there's enough storylines to where we might take 20 minutes just talking about it. Uh, what in and, – and I didn't get to watch a lot of football on TV this week, but what in God's green goodness happened in Tallahassee? I don't, I don't know anymore, honestly. I think I talked about it last week. Like, they were killing him, and then Monroe came back, and they won. Florida State ended up winning in overtime because Monroe missed their the extra point on their touchdown. So, I don't – know what it is i think they hydrated better because willie tiger talked about they needed to be better hydrated after that boise state loss so i imagine they they drank more gatorade 
Uh, offensive line still can't block. Cam Akers played really well. He's one of the top three running backs in the conference. I don't think James Blackman is a bad quarterback. I actually think he's pretty good. I'm I'm running out of answers, though, for what's wrong with Florida State. No, I mean, th- their offense was fine and has been much improved from last year, and you can kind of see the proof of concept there. I don't know what happens where a defense gives up 31 points to a bad Sunbelt team in a half, though. Um, so I know you and I are both big uh, Willie Taggart stands here, but this is not sustainable. No, it's honestly getting hard to to be a Willie Taggart stand. And I'm just trying to see where I went wrong because at Western Kentucky, it was great. At Oregon, it wasn't great, but, you know, there was no, I guess, ill signs. I, South Florida had a pretty good year, the one year he was there. Um, I think, honestly, big picture-wise, it's a Florida State issue. I think they're underfunded. Like, that's part of the reason Jimbo Fisher left to what I would consider a worse program at Texas A&M than Florida State because they just didn't have the funds to compete with Florida, compete with Clemson, compete with LSU, like all these schools they're recruiting against. And they they don't have the facilities. They don't have the money. And it's not this simple, but money really does matter in every level of football. And I think there's some big infrastructure levels on Florida State. And I thought Willie Tiger could be the guy to kind of fix that. It might just be the guy that he's there to kind of smooth things over until until the next guy. But there's some, I think, macro-level problems at Florida State because there's no other reason. They, they should be a top, at least a top 25 program every year based on, if not like a top 10 program most years. Yeah, and I, I think he inherited some pretty serious uh, systemic culture issues in the locker room as well, and that played itself out in 2017 when a team starts number three in the country and finishes seven and six. But, you know, by year two, you kind of get rid of those bad apples, and I think he's made a lot of mistakes saying things like, yeah, all of these guys are great, and you know, then still having to suspend about 15 to 20 players over the course of last season. Um, it doesn't really seem like he's cleaned house because he doesn't – I mean, he's a guy from Florida. Like, he, he's got recruiting ties all day there. I don't really know if he's afraid of alienating, like, a couple of big schools or something, but it, it just seems like it's kind of a player-driven issue. And, and you're right about the administration, but this is a, a school that won the national title seven years ago. Like, I, I, I'm just not willing to just sit here and call it and – a university issue of not supporting the football program, but it's a mess over there, man. Yeah. I thought Tiger was going to come in because Jimbo left because there were so many, and I don't want to just praise Jimbo because I think he is at least part of the problem, not a big reason those problems exist. Jimbo Fisher, the former coach, but uh, yeah, I thought Tiger was going to come in and kind of stamp all that out and, Kind of, even if it didn't lead to a lot of wins, do what Charlie Strong did at Texas. Like he, he kicked, not kicked off, but so many people left that program. He he was there just to weed it out. And then Tom Herman came in. I thought Taggart was going to do something similar, ideally for Florida State fans with more wins than Charlie Strong at Texas. And he just hasn't shown, I don't want to say the character to do that, but the ability to, to do that and make the hard decisions. And and you do need to alienate some people in the Florida State situation, and he hasn't really done that. Yeah, well, speaking of Charlie Strong, it was my upset pick of the week. Well, my upset pick of the week was A&T over Duke. That didn't happen. But um, Georgia Tech held serve against South Florida and Charlie Strong's program with uh, 14 points in the second quarter, winning 14 to 10. 
you know, I'm I'm not here to buy Georgia Tech, but you know that that's a very big win for them because I don't really know where the next one comes. Yeah, no, it is, and I'm not I'm not buying Georgia Tech. I think I'm selling South Florida more than buying Georgia Tech, but but good for them. And they, I don't think they're going to get bowl eligible looking at the schedule, but you know, a wins a win. It's a rebuilding year. I think everyone understands that. So Jeff Collins, he can get some positive momentum showing he can beat FBS teams and good for him. Yeah. Um, let's see. We, we don't have much to glean from Boston college, 45, Richmond, 13, uh, NC state, 41, nothing over Western, um, even Pitt 20 to 10 over Ohio. I mean, that, that was a pretty decent Ohio team, but, uh, Pitt is more talented and better, but we do have the other three games. Um, We'll start with the one that's maybe a little bit tougher to dissect. Virginia Tech 31, Old Dominion 17. Uh, Virginia Tech was favored by 28, but they were favored by 28 last year, and they went to Old Dominion and lost. There's there's something wrong with that program. And, you know, we we can kind of talk about the pretty base layer issues of, well, Fuente and Foster probably don't get along. That's why Foster's going to get out of there. But they've had four-star guys transferring out for the past 18 months. They're not recruiting well at all. Uh, they benched Ryan Willis for a period in this game. What's what's up with the Hokies, man? Dude, I think it's not as bad as Florida State, but I think that isn't – because they have one of the best home atmospheres in the country. Uh, for being Virginia Tech, their history is fantastic. They've been one of the most overachieving programs, you can argue, in the whole country. But, but, yeah, when there's that much of an exodus of players, and we saw Josh Jackson, former Virginia Tech quarterback, that wreck uh, Syracuse when he's playing for Maryland now. I, I, I don't know, Justin Fuente, but, like, things I've heard out of the Virginia Tech program is it's, like, uh, my where the highway type situation, and it's his second year uh, as a coach there. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's his second third, year. So third year. He's been there that Four. long? Dang. Yeah, because uh, the the heels famously uh, beat Virginia Tech in Blacksburg in uh, Frank Beamer's last home game in 2015 to clinch the coastal. So yeah, it's his fourth year. Okay, well then, what I was about to say, I'm not going to say it anymore because it's your fourth <laughs> year. You like his guys, the guys he wants are there. The guys, they're all his guys. They're all his recruits. There, there shouldn't be what's going on there, and your quarterback shouldn't be. I don't know. I don't want to blame Ryan Willis as much as I was about to, but. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Cause Fuente was highly thought of, I thought it was a good hire when they did hire him apparently four years ago. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I remember sometimes the coaches just don't last very long. Like people, they just like Jim Harbaugh, for example, everyone loves him for the first two or three years. And then after that, they just, he starts kind of grinding people's gears the wrong way. Uh, it could be a similar situation like that, where it's just, he's a really good short-term coach, but after three or four years or, especially with certain players staying around that whole time, that just, it's not a good fit. Yeah. And, and it's tough to be the guy that replaces a legend. Like the least desirable job in football should be Alabama when Nick Saban retires. Um, Fuente is replacing Frank Beamer, who was their whole program. So, you know, even if he is kind of changing the way things operate there, it's not, you know, by year four, like you said, I mean, his system should be fully in place. And maybe uh, with Bud Foster still there, that's not quite the case. But I'm always here for Virginia Tech to struggle. Um, speaking of struggling in the ACC, Syracuse gave up 63 points to Maryland. 
Yeah, that bums me out. I thought Sir- I, I don't care about Syracuse, so it doesn't actually bum me out. But I thought they were going to be really good this year. And they st- struggled against Liberty, only won that game 22 to nothing. Maryland had almost 50 points at halftime. Syracuse got embarrassed and takes a lot of luster out of the Syracuse Clemson game, which is uh, this Saturday, week three. I think game day was going to go there, and then Syracuse got blown out, so they moved to Iowa. And, you know, that that let's uh, knock on wood a little bit. If Carolina takes care of business for the next two weeks, that might actually work in the heels' favor because game day might be forced to go to Chapel Hill. Um I don't want to dwell on that one too much. I was just, frankly, kind of shocked that Syracuse looked that bad against a bad Big Ten team. But, you know, it basically means that the race for the second-best team in the ACC is wide open. Um, Let's shift gears, go to bridge the gap uh, from the ACC to the SEC. Clemson 24, Texas A&M 10. I didn't think this game was nearly as close as the score indicated. Yeah, no, Clemson dominated, and Texas A&M got that score late to cover. I think Jimbo Fisher had, I don't know. But, yeah, Clemson dominated, physically imposing. Uh, Texas A&M really couldn't do anything. Trevor Lawrence looked better than he did in week one against Georgia Tech. Uh, I think a lot of people were talking about, oh, like Trevor Lawrence didn't look good, had two interceptions against Georgia Tech. Uh, it's his first game. Like, you know, there's always they're going to have a bad game. The kid's 19 or 20 or whatever. Uh, but Trevor Lawrence looked better. Clemson's receivers, man, are something else. Justin Ross and T. Higgins are unbelievable. Um, and their defense is, I don't, even that's not experiences last year, it's so, so good, so fast. I forgot the name of their linebacker. Isaiah Simmons. Yeah, I don't know if you are going to mention it, but he might be the best linebacker in the country based on these first couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's basically got corner speed and linebacker size. Uh, he's going to be somebody just to avoid uh, when we get to breaking down the UNC Clemson game here in a couple of weeks, but you're absolutely right about all of their skill position talent. Uh, Travis Etienne, not nearly as big of a game as week one, but you don't have to have everything clicking if you're Clemson because of the talent you put on the field on offense and a defense under Brent Venables that is, you know, it, it's going to be a struggle for somebody to score more than like 24 points against them. And Clemson can normally handle 24 points on offense, even if everything's going horrifically wrong. Um, LSU, Texas. Is this a Joe Burrow, uh, Stan podcast now? Yeah, man. LSU has a quarterback. And I think if there's a new Heisman candidate, just with the number he's going to put up in that offense. And that's another game. I think the score wasn't as close. I think LSU was pretty dominant in that game. Or the score, excuse me, the score is closer than the game indicated. Even though Texas had those 400 passing yards, which surprised me because Ellinger, I, I'm not super high on his arm specifically, even though he's a great quarterback. But yeah, Joe Burrow was awesome. LSU is awesome. And they're not, I still don't think they're going to beat Alabama, but I think the Auburn game is going to be exciting. I think they can, if they weren't in the same division as Alabama, I'd be a lot more excited about them. I think this is going to be the first year that they actually compete with Alabama. And, you know, they, they can kind of basically, you know, go back vanilla for the next couple of weeks. I think their schedule lightens up um, until the Auburn game. But they kind of got dragged into a Big 12 shootout. And, you know, they, they came out winners. And the fact that they did that without just basically running power and beating their head against the wall to beat somebody 17 and 13, this is, like we said last week, not – you know, it's not LSU of the past 15 years. And you and I said on this podcast, well, it was Georgia Southern. So, you know, maybe let's actually see what it looks like against real competition. And, man, 
Uh, we were, you know what? I, I didn't think Joe Burrow was going to go out and throw for 471 yards. I'm not either. And Ed Orgeron, I didn't love them retaining him once he was the interim coach, but so far so good for the most part with what he's done at LSU. So good for them. Go Tigers. That's right. Um, I'm, I'm kind of building up the lead so we can talk about your BYU Cougars in a second, but there is one more SEC game I wanted to touch on briefly. Oh, South Carolina hung 72 points on Charleston Southern. Um, was it a Jake Bentley problem or was it a UNC defense problem? I'll ask you two weeks in a row. I think it was a UNC defense problem. And Ryan Alinsky is a really good true freshman for South Carolina. I'm still on the Jake Bentley bandwagon. Uh, they play Alabama this week, so we'll see see how it goes. But I think I think South Carolina is a good program that just had um, a, played another good program week one, um, and they're not going to get to a bowl game. But I'm glad they got some positive going for for them. I I feel really bad for Jake Bentley broke his foot this senior year and he's out for the year. But um, I don't think it changes much the big picture. Uh, I think Kalinsky has a bigger arm, but Jake Bentley's a lot more. Um, experienced obviously more more talented even if he can't doesn't have the arm talent ryan helinski does their true freshman the irony is i could see jake bentley taking over at alabama as a grad transfer next year oh that'd be so funny uh i would love i'm all here for that all here for that he's from alabama and to a tiger by low is going to be the number one pick to the miami dolphins um BYU 29, Tennessee 26. Go ahead and stun on for a second. I was so happy. Oh, my gosh. So we were getting killed. And that I'm a BYU graduate, if, if people didn't know that already. But, yeah, BYU, we were down by three. Uh, we had a 64-yard pass with about 20 seconds left. No timeouts. Backed up inside our own 20. Um, we get a field goal going to overtime. And then in double overtime, our – Running back South Carolina transfer, speaking of South Carolina, uh, got it from the five yard line and just bush pushed his way basically into the end zone. Got stood up at like the four yard line and just there were about eight volunteers trying to tackle him and he just couldn't get him down. And um, there's a lot of problems in Tennessee, but I'm just happy BYU is adding to those problems at this point. I, I was pretty, we got a rough schedule coming up as well the next few games. So I'm glad we could get a win. It's an SEC team, even if it's not not Alabama or anything. It's an SEC win on the road, so I was pretty happy. And you do realize Tyson Williams was at UNC before he transferred to South Carolina, right? Yeah, I've, I guess I didn't mention that, but yeah, so he's kind of been well-traveled, so I guess more reason to be happy for people listening to this pod. Former Tar Heel uh, won the game for BYU. There you go. Well, congrats on that big win. Um, Jeremy Pruitt's reference to the Titanic today was pretty apt, uh, so He's either the most self-aware coach in the history of the sport or he is just a complete idiot. Um, having worked fairly closely with him at my time at uh, University of Georgia, I'm going to go with the latter. Yeah. Um, real quick, and we'll, we'll, get out on, uh, we'll get out in the next couple of minutes here. Um, Ohio State just derailed Cincinnati. Meantime, Michigan did not do the same to Army. Um, Army should have won this football game. And I'm a little disappointed they didn't. Yeah, I think on that, if instead of passing on that double overtime, um, if they won like some sort of sweep or option play, and even though the kicker I know is inexperienced and missed it at the end of regulation, but 
I would I would just settle for the field goal because Michigan had kicked the field goal in that first possession of the second overtime. Um, but yeah, I I wanted Army to win super bad, but Ohio State is legit. Justin Fields, I've mentioned this before, but when I was uh, spoke to Yogi Roth, who does the Elite Eleven camps, he said Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields were in the same recruiting class. We're both in the 99th percentile of talent. Uh, that he's ever seen. Um, it's just hard to get in that rhythm, though, the way Fields was used at Georgia. He has so many weapons. Chase Young, Ohio State's defensive end, is maybe the best defensive end in the country. Uh, I'm all in on Ohio State, and I, it's not like I wasn't before, but um, especially the, after that Michigan game, uh, it's, it's going to be hard for me, I think, for them not to uh, win the Big Ten, at least the the Big Ten East. Yeah, my theory that uh, we could have all three Georgia quarterbacks from when they had Jacob Eason, Jake Fromm, and then Justin Fields came in uh, the next spring, uh, all three of those guys in the playoff, that took a hit very, very, very late on Saturday night because Washington lost at home to Cal 20-19 to in a game I told Jake Lawrence was going that Cal was definitely going to cover. I didn't think they'd actually pull off the upset. Yeah, and I was up watching that game, Pac-12 after dark, and I was very tired because there was a rain delay in Seattle. So it ended at like um, local time. It was like 2, one thirty or 2, I think. So like 4, something like that on the East Coast. But I think it says more. Obviously, it hurts Washington's playoff chances. But I think it just says more about Cal than it does about Washington. I thought Washington played pretty well. But Cal's just a really good football team. A lot better than last year. We saw them last year against North Carolina. And they um, – Last year, their defense was good, but the offense struggled. This year, the offense is um, it's a bit better. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the one of my favorite uh, Cal stats was during the Sonny Dykes era, they were top 10 offense, bottom 10 defense uh, for pretty much his whole tenure. Um, they bring in Justin Wilcox, who overnight turned the same talent into a top 10 defense and a bottom 10 offense. If they can be like a top but just like a middle of the pack uh, offense, their defense is good enough to win them eight or nine games. So Cal's really interesting to me. And I had a great experience going up there last year. So I'm kind of uh, low key rooting for them. While we're in the uh, Pac 12, uh, we did have the Colorado upset over Nebraska, which I didn't really think was so much an upset as it was just uh, the way they did it coming back from um, down 17 nothing at half throwing a 96-yard flea flicker, which uh, the Bears Society has rated as the best flea flicker of all time. Um, that was fun. And then SC, man, I, I watched a little bit of this game once I got home from the Miami game, but they put it on Stanford. SC's good. They play BYU this week, so I think SC's going to win. But Keaton Slovis is, is really good, their uh, new quarterback. Yeah, and uh, maybe for a year, Clay Hilton can save his job and uh, let the uh, new AD at USC figure out you know what he wants to do longer term jacob man week two is fun um i think it's only going to get more fun because the first couple of weeks you have a lot of uh, cupcakes notice we didn't talk about oklahoma or penn state or you know any of those teams we didn't talk about oregon wing 77 to 6 over nevada um i appreciate you joining me what do you have coming to the site this week um an undetermined yet i know it's not the best answer <laughs> I love it. Um, I've got the weight game preview uh, for Thursday. Obviously, we're going to have a podcast to accompany that. We appreciate y'all listening. Keep it locked. Go Heels. Thank y'all. Bye.